This is Hebrews 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then chapter 13, verses 7 through 19. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who would have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for those for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Feel free to take your seats. <clears throat> Volume good? Okay, well, thank you for having me again. Um, I was thinking about how many more times I can come until someone protests to Pastor Steve. But I did try to find um, someone else to come for your sake. But everyone's away on spring break, except me, obviously. <laughs> so um, it's good to be here with you. All right. <clears throat> it's, um, you've been working through the book of Hebrews. And I was uh, rereading this passage and preparing it for this weekend. And uh, it's a strange passage for us, especially in the uh, West. Uh, there's this book, if you have a chance, I recommend it. It's called Tribe. Has, has anyone read it? It's uh, written by Sebastian uh, Younger. And uh, it's a really interesting book because this is how the book works. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time. Um, and it's not a Christian book, but you know, you'll find that a lot of non-Christians actually write much better in general. And their, their analysis is much better. But this is basically how the uh, book works. He asks this question. He says, why is it that vets, okay, um, that is vets from, you know, soldiers, soldiers, why is it that in many parts of the world and in many parts in history, they were able to recover better than they can today, like here in America? The author is asking a really interesting question because he's saying, if you think about it, we have all this money, we have all this resources, um, and yet... Still, when you see vets come back here, right, uh, they don't recover as well. And maybe some of you know vets, and it's, you know, especially in this area, it's a really interesting question. And so how is that related to his book title, Tribe? Tribe? And this is basically his point. 
He says, you see, even, and he, just, he uses the historical example of Native Americans. He talks about how Native Americans, in many ways, uh, their warfare was more savage, or if not, it was just, it was just as brutal. And yet, when you look at uh, Native American history, after battle, many of the men would come back and would be able to assimilate just fine. It's a, it's a really interesting um, you know, observation. And this is basically his answer. He says, in general, in the West... We don't think and we don't have tribes. Tribes. And he gives like really basic examples. He gives this example that you might be familiar with if you uh, live in Northern Virginia. He says, you see, in most parts of the world, even now, they don't have these things called McMansions where each person has his own room. Isn't this like just if you're thinking outside of your culture? And he said, in fact, a lot of... Uh, a lot of families, what they do is they just sleep together. You know, they sleep together as a tribe, right? And I have uh, three young kids, and <laughs> after reading this book, I said to my wife, "Hey, honey, like, um, let's be let's be a tribe, right?" <laughs> so I said to her, "Let's all like sleep together in one room." And at that time, we had two sons, right? When I look back. We did not sleep that entire year. It was a bad idea, right? But you know one thing we did notice? We noticed that our kids, they don't want their own rooms, actually. They actually want to have a, like, so our two sons are together, and then we gave our baby girl her own room, and she, for the longest time, has refused to have her own room. Now, granted, they'll change when she's a teen, probably, but um, the point that he makes in his book is that, you see, the reason why we're not healthy is because we in the West are very individualistic. And we think in terms of our individuality. And I want to suggest something to you that if you look at this passage, he says something really interesting um, in verse 17. He uses these words that are really dirty in our culture today. Obey. That's a dirty word. Obey your leaders. Submit. That's a very dirty word today. And then listen to what he goes on to say. For they are keeping watch over your souls. And when you hear something like this, maybe you're pausing, you're like, wait a minute, I don't need a big brother. Maybe you're feeling that. You're like, what do you, what, what's this talking about? Like, I have Jesus, that's enough. And if you have any response along those lines, it shows you exactly what this book is talking about, that we are very individualistic in terms of our faith, right? And at the same time, what the author of today is talking about is this. If in the end, you want to finish the race and you want to persevere, you have to think about your relationship with the pastors in your church and the elders, I think this is why Pastor Steve asked me to preach this week because this is a hard passage for leaders to preach on, right? But just just for a moment, pause and think about this with me for a moment. Let's say uh, you are the author of this letter and you want to end this great letter. This is chapter 13. And you want to really inspire people. You want them to be like, all right, finish the race that Jesus has set before you. And what would be, like, how would you have ended this letter, on what inspirational note would you have said? I don't know. Like, you know, it's a really good question. I was thinking about if I had written this letter 
And I wanted to end on a very inspirational note, something that would move people, something that would motivate people. I thought to myself, would my main encouragement have been listen to your leaders? Probably not. I think for many of you, that's the case as well. And that's why I hope that you feel, right, that you feel like how striking this exhortation is. Okay, and so today what I want to think about with you, just really one main point, and then let me elaborate on it, right, is, right, if you want to persevere, if you want to finish the race, right, you have to love and listen to your leaders, Okay, that's the main point I want to make. It's so, in one sense, not inspirational. But I want to think about this with you for a moment, okay? So I want to ask you again to consider this main point. If you walk away with anything today, it's like, if I want to finish this race, it means that I need to really think carefully about my relationship with my elders, with my pastors. And specifically, I need to learn to love and listen to them, okay? So, tough message, right? But... That's why, again, Pastor Steve asked me to come, I think. And so let me uh, just suggest two main points to you. Number one, what you need to do, what you need to do. And then number two, why, what and the why, what and the why. Okay, so first is this. There are at least three things that, <clears throat> um, like the author says. And isn't it interesting that when he begins this passage in verse 7, he says, remember your leaders. And then he goes into somewhat of a tangent and then verses 17, he's 17 and 18, he goes back to this theme of leaders. He says, obey your leaders, I'll let them do this with joy, pray for us, and all of the above, right? And so I want to suggest three things that at least this text says, right? Number one is this. It says that if you want to persevere, you need to obey your leaders and submit to them. That's number one. Now, um, where do I start here? Because <laughs> there's so much. Uh, thankfully, my kids have, for now, moved beyond Frozen, the movie Frozen. Um, and then, right now, they're into this movie. What's that movie? We don't talk about Bruno. El Encanto or something like that? Okay, so anyway. But for, for the longest time, especially because our baby girl is the uh, king of the house, uh, whenever we would ask Alexa to play music, she would say Frozen, right? And many of us know that song, right? And it reminds me of this other movie that aired maybe before many of you were born. It was called The L- Little Mermaid, right? And way back. And I always think Disney actually gives you a good pulse in our culture because when you look at the movie Frozen, uh, in that song, right, Let It Go, there's this very instructive line. Do you remember Elsa singing this? And she basically says this, no right, no wrong, and then for me, and I'm free. Because you see, the impulse of our culture is to believe that the way to happiness is not to obey anything outside and above yourself, but to what? Follow whatever your heart and follow what's inside. And I want you to really appreciate when the Bible says, like, obey your leaders, more and more, this is becoming very foreign to us as a culture. Because, again, the only rule that our culture has is what? Be true to yourself. So you need to feel that dissonance. And then in terms of this next word, submit to them. Submit to them, right? I have officiated so many weddings. I mean, I've... uh, 
countless weddings. And I, let me share with you a, a very interesting trend. So a long time ago when I used to um, like officiate weddings, the vows would be for the husband, hey, do you promise to love and um, uh, you know, be faithful to your wife like to the end of the ages? Yes. And then previously to the wife, it would be, do you promise to love? And then at least in the Presbyterian church, it was, do you promise to submit to your husband? And more and more, I've had many women say, can you take that out? Submit, submit. And, you know, there are reasons. No, I get it, right? But I think you and I know, we have this, like, sense now that the word submit and the idea of submission, right, is a really, like, it doesn't really jive with us today. It's almost considered a dirty thing. But the author here, therefore, is saying something very radical to you and me. The author is saying that if you want to really prosper in the Christian life, right, you actually have to obey and submit to your leaders, okay? And I honestly, I could just stop there and just ask you to think about that because if you're like any normal being, you don't want to. You don't want to. Um, my first son has grown up so much now, but when I see Titus, he reminds me of our first son, except he's much better looking. And uh, but there's this one time my son was four, and I don't know why. We decided to dress him up for church. I have no idea why we decided to do it. So anyway, we dress him up, and right as we're about to go outside, I see a puddle. And I said to my son, Christian, like, don't jump in there, okay? Like, you know, you're going to get dirty. And I turn around, and as soon as I turn around, literally I hear that. And I turn back around, he's jumping in the puddle. So I yell at him. I'm like, Christian, we're going to church. Do you understand? We're going to go, what are you doing? And he says, what does it look like I'm doing? And I said, I know, I know. And I said, did you not understand the words that came out of my mouth? I said, do not jump in the puddle. Do not make a mess. Look at what you've done. Why did you do it? You know what he said? This is classic. He said, dad, Sometimes you just want to do what you want to do. <laughs> he just looked at me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get that. And then you know, so I was like, all right, let's just go to church, right? You see, that response was like very honest, that your heart by nature is rebellious. And um, like you don't want to listen. And at the end of the day, you don't want to submit. And you want to be the master of your own life. And the thing is, now our culture has really reinforced that, where they've said that is ethically the right thing to do. And I just, I know I'm harping on this a lot, but I want you to really be honest and to appreciate when the Bible says, listen, obey, and submit to your leaders, right? I think it's really helpful for you to be honest and to be able to say, I don't want to. So that's actually a really good place to be. Like by nature, you don't want to. Now, just a very quick footnote, but I think this is really important. <clears throat> Submission is this. Submission is not when you agree with your leaders, by the way. It's not when you agree with your leaders. Submitting is doing what your leaders say, right, even though you don't agree, even though you don't agree, as long as it's about, like, secondary issues. And so, like, I love coming here um, because this reminds me of my church plan 10 years ago, right? And... Let me uh, just share with you one of 
the most memorable incidents I ever had as a church planter. It was actually very touching. Um, I was the worst uh, fundraiser you can imagine. I was really bad at fundraising, um, so bad. And we had these two couples in our church um, who basically looked at how much or how little I raised, and they said, oh my gosh, we're not going to make it. And so they basically funded the church for two years. It's very important, this background detail. And so when the church began, they funded it, and they were really great about it. They never said anything about it. But we had a disagreement about two things, two things. And this is what the, these were the two disagreements. I said, you know, the church needs to have a, some sort of nursery and children's ministry. And they said, no, 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 no. Because we believe in this thing called covenant worship, where families should worship together. I said, yeah, 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 sure. But we need, we need a nursery, and we need a children's ministry. And at that time, notice we didn't all have children. So we're very theoretical in the way we think about parenting. Now, ironically now, both, both families use it. They're like, this is the best thing in the world. But back then, they said, absolutely not. We're not going to do it. And then the second thing is we had a disagreement about location. So I shared with the leaders, I said, I think a good location is the Tyson's Corner area because um, it's where Maryland, D.C., and Northern Virginia intersect. But at that time, most of our people were coming from Alexandria. So they wanted to meet in Alexandria. And we had very heated discussions about this. And remember, they are what? Funding the church. Makes it a little tricky. So I said, all right, You know, as, as the pastor, I need to make the call. So we're going to have children's ministry, and we're going to meet in Tyson's Corner area. And I waited to see what they would say. And they said, we think that's a bad decision, and we're going to support you 100%. I'll never forget that. And afterwards, I asked like one of the guys, I said, wait, wait, <laughs> you totally disagree. He goes, Absolutely. It's a bad decision. And you're totally going to support. He said, absolutely, because submission does not mean we agree. It means that I respect the fact that this is how God has structured the church. That was one. I, I, tell, you know, I share that story with you because 10 years ago, that's when I thought, oh, actually our church plant might succeed because we have people who understand what the Bible means by biblical submission. And I hope that that would really challenge you, because inevitably, as you do family and as you do life together, will there come times when you disagree with your elders? Absolutely, absolutely. But you want to be very careful and slow about saying, then we're going to break fellowship. It's, It's only about really primary things that you should ever break fellowship about. And that's why... Uh, the author here is saying, again, right, you, you need to listen and submit to them. So that's the one. Second thing that um, the author says here is this. He goes on to say in verse, uh, the second half, verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And he's referring to watching your souls, for that would be of no advantage to you, right? And I want you to just ask this basic question. Um, all right, how, I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you. <laughs> so, so um, 
when your leaders think about you, right, it's a good question to ask. Are you the sort of member when your leaders think about you, they're like, thank God, thank God you are at the church. Like, thank God. So that's one thing. Like, man, without you, I don't know where the church would be, right? So that's one thing. Or do they say, thank God you are at the church because God is using you to sanctify me. Okay, so we're... And you want to ask yourself this question, like when, you're, when your leaders think about you, right, are they filled with joy or are they like, ah, oh, hmm, right? And it's a really good question to ask because what the author here is saying is this, right, that really the, for you to thrive, right, you want to do anything and everything to make ministry a delight. For your uh, for your leaders, again, like this is a really like it's a really interesting um, passage because at least when I was growing up in the church, I, I never heard stuff like this, right? Where the author is saying, if you want to make it in the Christian life, you need good pastors, you need good leaders, right? And therefore, the author says, like he's he's doing actually very practical here. He's saying, doesn't it make sense, right, to make sure that their ministry is a delight, that their family, right, is happy. And, like, it's so simple if you think about it, but so extraordinary. And let me just bring it home. Let me just be very concrete about this, right? When is the last time? Again, this is an advantage when you have guest speaker. Guest speaker can say stuff like this. When is the last time you took your pastors or elders out to a nice meal? Or, you know, when their children were born, you flood them with gifts. And, um, you know, when is the last time, like, you did something very concrete to just, like, lift up their spirits? You see, like, one of the things you want to understand in the Bible is when the Bible talks about, like, honoring your leaders, right? It's not, like, in this Asian sense of, like, bowing or, you know, <laughs> whatever. The Bible is actually very tangible. So when the Bible says, like, honor your leaders, right? It means make their ministry an absolute delight. Um, I wasn't sure if I should share this with you, but might as well. I'll be back. <laughs> when I turned 40, I went through a really funky period. I don't know what was going on. People say it's midlife crisis. I, I don't know what it was. Um, but when I turned 40, I went through like a weird season. A weird season where I began to think, did I make the right decision? Like, is this what I should have done with my life, right? And I was just going through a funk. And uh, there were these two guys at our church, and they noticed that I was going through a really, like, just weird time. And so you know what they did? I'll never forget this. It was actually one of the most touching things that has happened in my life. They said, Pastor Paul, we want you to block out this week, and we're going to take you away, right? We're going to take you on a trip. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> they took me on this unforgettable trip. It was for seven days. I'll never forget this. Uh, they put me up in this hotel that was, um, uh, I don't know how else to describe it. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing with the most amazing views. And then every day 
for lunch and dinner, we went out to these like incredible restaurants. I ate food that I did not know existed on earth. Like it was just amazing. And uh, my um, my church knows I I like. I like red wine. And so <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of great wine, and we just had a great time. And at the end of that trip, I remember on the flight back thinking, I feel right, and I feel good. I feel like, I don't know, I felt like actually very spiritual. I, I know it sounds weird. Like, did we pray throughout those seven days? I'm going to be honest with you. Not really. Did we read the Bible? Not really. I'm just I'm being very honest with you about these things, Right. We just ate together. We drank together. We didn't get drunk. And, uh, and we laughed for seven days like straight. It was epic. And when I look back at that moment, I think it was very formative for me because I came back and my soul was uplifted. Right? And I know that seems like very like worldly or material, but if I can just give you one more illustration of this, right? Our church, we support a missionary um, in Costa Rica, he and his wife. They do the most amazing work, right? And uh, along these lines, right, their work is really hard. And we thought about them, and we said their names are Stephen and Georgiana. And we said, Stephen, Georgiana, um, we know your work is hard, so this is what we want to do for you as a church. Once a year, for one week, we want to send you wherever you want. Go vacation, go have a blast, right? rest and be renewed and they told us that that for the past 10 years has been so renewing for them i want to encourage you when the when the author here says like make make your leaders like make their ministry a delight you notice it's very hard to escape how tangible right this is and when i ask you like when is the last time you have done something very tangible very generous in order to uplift your leaders. That's what this text is saying. It's saying if you want to persevere, you have to make sure that your leaders are thriving, right? And there is definitely a tangible component to it. Um, If I can be very concrete, challenge you very concretely, at least once a year, right, you should take out your pastors and elders to a nice meal. You might feel like, oh, that's legalistic. All right. That's cool, but like, if you can think of something better. But when the author says here, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, what does that mean? What does that mean? So that's number two. But the last thing I think that uh, the passage says is this. Look at verse 18. Paul, uh, the author says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. The last thing that the author is saying is that if you want to persevere, you need good leaders. But what that means is you need to pray for them. And this is, by the way, because some of you might be thinking this. Some of you might be feeling, well, our leaders, they're not perfect. No one's perfect, you know, and so what can you do, right? Doesn't this encourage you where the author of Hebrews is saying, yes, they are totally not perfect. You know, like, pastors are very, like, ordinary people. I don't know why. Still to this day, when I use the restroom at our church and a member sees me, they're like, oh, Pastor Paul, like, what are you doing in here? I'm like, what are you doing in here? (laughs) That's probably, like, there's this idea that, like, pastors are, like, these people who don't, like, I don't know, like, uh, like, we don't sin, right? 
Did this happen to you during COVID? This happened to me. It was really bad. I was teaching a seminary class. I'll never forget this. <laughs> On Zoom. Zoom. And we were talking about Galatians, a book about God's grace and just God's kindness to sinners. And the gospel is this good news that God does not save you on the basis of your works, but on the basis of what Jesus said. This is like beautiful, right? Galatians. But my two boys were in the background causing a ruckus. They're like fighting, fooling around, fighting. They just go back and forth, right? And I'm trying to focus. So I committed a bad sin. I muted the Zoom call, and I said, you guys, if you do not stop, I am throwing you out of the house. You're going to go outside. You're not going to eat tonight. Do you understand? I'm teaching the gospel right now. So you guys get out. I don't care what mom says, right? Or I'm going to throw you out, right? And I, I was so upset, right? And then I went back to my Zoom call, and all my students, their faces were like ghastly white. I was like, oh, what happened? Like, <laughs> and then when I went to unclick mute, I realized I had never pressed mute. Right? So they heard everything. And I said, okay, let's all pray now. <laughs> so, <laughs> because I was like, all right, sorry you heard that. That's real parenting. And it's funny, only, the only parent in that Zoom call, he understood, and he was laughing hysterically in the background. But, you know, I share that story with you because I want you to know this. Every pastor, every elder, we're not like these invincible spiritual people. And as you know, as you know, by the number of uh, scandals that have happened, right? And therefore, uh, to that end, I want to encourage you, and I want to echo what the author says here. So the author says here, instead of being such a cynic, and instead of saying, well, we can't trust anyone, right? No one is trustworthy. Look at leaders. Look at how people have abused their authority. Look at, all of that is true. But the author is saying, instead of being so cynical, pray for your leaders, and I want to encourage you, like as I think about doxology, pray about these three things. Um, pray that your leaders would never fall into any sexual scandal, any financial scandal, any, any power scandal, right? Whenever people ask me what is the vision, the mission of New City, my church, I always say that there would be none of those three scandals. I said, that's all. We want to have a quiet and fruitful life, Right? And so to that end, I want to encourage you, as the author says here, when you think about your leaders, pray always for their marriage. Pray always, right, that they would not become power-hungry, and pray that they would not be tempted by money. So those three things that the author says, right? Again, the author says, listen and submit to them. And I want you to just be honest about how hard that is, right? It says, seek to make their ministry a joy and a delight. But finally, it says, pray for them. And I want to close in this way. Why should we do all this? Why should we, all, why should we do this? Why, why should we care about any of this, right? Why should we care about, like, uh, continuing in this race? And this is why. This is why. And I'll end just on this note. The Hebrews, right, it all talks about um, the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, right? And this is what I want just, like, as you close out this series, I want to ask you to consider this. 
How do you show that something or someone is worth it? Something or someone is worth it. How do you show that someone or something is worth it, right? And it's this. You show that someone or something is worth it when you continue, right, and complete the race that is set before you, right? Um, when you, as you do the Christian life, right, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Right before I came here, my wife, um, I sometimes have like really, we have hilarious conversations, but I said to her, honey, what do you think if I went back into investment banking? And she's like, if the Lord is leading you, do it. <laughs> she's like, do it. And I was like, I know you don't mean that. She goes, yes, I do. <laughs> and and she, she was just, we were just bantering, but she was saying, you know, had I known ministry was going to be this hard, I don't know. I don't know. She, she always says, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? You wouldn't have married me? Because I didn't say that. And I said, well, you didn't not say that. She goes, that is true. <laughs> but she says, but she says, it's so hard. And she was saying, sometimes you want to quit, but this is what I love about my wife. You know what she always says at the end? She says, but we can't quit because Jesus is worth it. She says, Jesus is worth it. His blood is worth it. And so I want to encourage you as you be prepared to end this Hebrew series, right? Run the race that is set before you because Jesus, his blood is worth it. His honor, his glory, they are worth it. But the author says, if you want to run well, you have to think about your relationship with your leaders. Listen to them, submit to them, make their ministry a delight, and pray for them, okay? Let's pray together. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for doxology. Thank you that doxology is a great church for this area. And uh, I pray for these, uh, for these friends. I know that I don't know most of them by name, but I know that we are family because of Jesus. And um, I pray that they would just consider Hebrews 13 just very carefully. It's a chapter that most people don't pay attention to. But you have told us in your word that if we want to run this race well, we have to relate rightly to our leaders. And so I pray for this church that they would obey and submit to their leaders. It's a hard thing. That they would give sacrificially so that their leaders would delight in their ministry. And that also they, that they would regularly pray for their leaders. That their leaders would not fall into any kind of scandal. But rather that their leaders would be able to lead them well. And by excelling in this seemingly boring and extraordinary ordinary calling, I pray that over the many years to come that doxology would bear much fruit unto your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.